Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on our fall sermon series from the Gospel of John. In a sermon titled Gushing, Pastor Bob talks about what happened to the Samaritan woman after she encountered Jesus at the well. Today we're talking about the power of living water and fields that are ripe for harvest. If we dive into John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So Bob, catch us up on what just took place between Jesus and the woman at the well. Sure, yeah. So this woman goes to this well to get water at the wrong time of day all by herself, out of the way. There's there's actually a closer well into town. And so Jesus is there waiting. His disciples are in town. He asks her for water, and she's stunned by his forwardness. She questions why he would ask her, given that she is a woman and Samaritan. And Jesus says that if she knew who he was and what the free gift of God was, mm-hmm. she would ask, and, and he would give her that free gift, this living water. And so the back and forth ensues where Jesus calls her out on her sinful, broken lifestyle— tells her she can be a true worshiper of God, regardless of being a Samaritan, and that he himself is the Christ she's been waiting for. That's a lot. Mm. And uh, that's where we begin. The disciples are coming back from town with food, uh, and she leaves her water jar and runs back to town. So why were the disciples concerned that Jesus was, was talking to her? Well, I mean, they were... They were concerned um, about propriety and and how mm-hmm. this looked, right? A man should not be talking to a strange woman uh, that he doesn't know, certainly not uh, never out in public, certainly not when that woman is by herself without any kind of you know connection to uh, another man or a family. Um, and then Jesus was a rabbi, right? he's a he's a religious teacher who is supposed to be a paragon of morality. Rabbis had to maintain an exceptional level of morality and propriety. Um, so what Jesus was doing was way out of bounds for their culture, and they were concerned with how it looked. They likely assumed that while Jesus was um, you know, simply making a careless mistake, mm-hmm. this woman couldn't be trusted, and she was out to seduce him and drag mm. him into some kind of immorality or take advantage of him in some way. Um, so like John says, they want to say something. It's on the tip of their tongue, but they mm-hmm. do hold back out of propriety. They, they know talking out like that would be very disrespectful to their teacher. Mm-hmm. So instead of reprimanding him or whatever, they say, uh, Jesus, eat something. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, what was that about? Can we... I mean, he was weary. We know that there was a long journey and he was, he was hungry probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but was there something else behind that? Like, well, maybe you're I mean, not thinking straight? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's all we can do is guess. And and it makes sense, right? And like you said, I- instead of directly challenging him, they're, they're trying to solve, you know, the problem in a different way, which is let's get his blood sugar back up. Not that they <laughs> understood blood sugar, but they understood the mechanism right. that, you know, when we don't eat, you know, that, that Snickers commercial— um, when we don't eat, we start, you know, we're not, we're not mm. ourselves, right? And so they're, they really do think that this is a lapse in judgment, and, and, he's, and he's making a lapse in judgment due to hunger and fatigue. He needed to come back to his senses. 
But in addition to that, the town was on their way out to them, right? And they needed to get out of there, right? And he mm. needed to eat because they got to get going. You know, they, he, they don't want him to faint on the way or collapse on the way. You got to eat and we got to go. And then he said something sort of cryptic to them. He said, well, I have food that you don't know about. What was he referring to there? Yeah, I mean, you know, Jesus is, says that his food uh, his, is to do the will of him who sent him, right? The Father in heaven. So Jesus finds more sustenance and satisfaction in being about the Father's business than in mere nutrition. And, you know, that it might also be a little dig at the disciples, right? To say, uh, mm. it's food you don't know about, you know? Like, <laughs> this is food you're passing up, right? You, you went to go get, you know, this junk uh, at, the, at the store mm. when really there's this feast here uh, that you're missing, um, mm. You know, you guys aren't thinking about God's will right now. You aren't thinking about the Father's business. Why are you so concerned with appearances, and why are you so suspicious of people? Mm-hmm. There's better food than that, and that's what he's talking about. And then it actually sort of goes into this this characterization of these people coming toward him. So the woman goes goes back to the town. She shares her story. And now we have the whole town coming out, and, and these guys, the disciples, think it's a mob, and Jesus says, there's something else. What, what, how does he characterize them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he says, he's, he characterizes them as a field white for harvest, a field of grain, and, and white for harvest means, you know, the, the, the heads of grain have matured, and they're, and they're ready to be cut and brought in. Um, you know, so this is pure opportunity here right this is mm. this is pure profit um yeah and, and it's interesting usually jesus uses the the fishing metaphor i'm going to make you fishers of men and he and he provides them miraculous catches of fish a few different times so here the metaphor is agriculture right you should be mm. harvesters of men bringing people into the kingdom and and that's your role and and you're not recognizing that right now so they, they probably understood the idea of harvesting and fields, but were they surprised it was this field? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. they these gotta people, be, right? right? Yeah, these 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 were Samaritans. They were sworn enemies of the Jews. And and mm-hmm. you know how it is when when there's groups that are totally opposite, they don't uh the opposite of each other, they don't necessarily hate each other as much as the groups right next to them who are a little bit different hmm. with some slight twists. You know, so so the Samaritans probably did share, uh, you know, some uh, uh, biological descent with the Jews, right? And and they had the first five books of Moses, but it was their own translation. They had their own twist on on where to worship and how to worship, right? And that's you know it is so incensing, right? Much more than outright enemies. And so that's the scenario. And and I didn't mention it in the sermon I wanted to, but I felt like I had to cut it. Um, how uh, in the other Gospels there's a scene where, you know, Jesus and his disciples are traveling again through Samaria, and there's a Samaritan village that won't let Jesus pass through, right? Won't welcome mm. him. And so James and John, the brothers, John, the author of this Gospel, offer to call fire down from heaven to, to destroy the town, <laughs> right? You want us to yeah. call in an airstrike, Jesus? Yeah, right? <laughs> That's how the disciples felt about the Samaritans, Uh, literally ready to blow them away. And we should assume the Samaritans felt the same way. So, Mm. no, the disciples were not thinking of this Samaritan town as the proper harvest for God. And in fact, we should assume they were probably offended Mm. at the suggestion. So that's—it's a really—it's meant to really be startling. 
You know, this scene and so many others, especially in the Gospel of John, seem to surprise the followers of Jesus. And I thought, is surprise built into following Jesus? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question, Matt, and and I think for sure, and definitely John has a lot of irony going on, a lot of dramatic irony where we know what's going on, but the, the characters don't. I mean, John loves using that. Because I think you're right that that we should recognize or should expect some surprise, mm-hmm. and and you know, of course you know that, that Jesus is announcing a kingdom that's upside down, right? It's mm-hmm. it's totally different from uh, what we experience, and and I think the whole thing starts with surprise, right? Jesus, I mean, the, what's the what's the biggest surprise? The biggest surprise is that Jesus wants you, mm. right? And, and Jesus wants me. Uh, the Son of God says there's a place for me at the table, right? Yeah, I don't belong with him. Right, that's that's incredibly surprising and shocking, um, and this is why Jesus works so hard to identify with the spiritually poor because we're all poor in spirit. Hmm. So, in one sense, it's something that Christians sh- should never get over, never get over the gospel, never yeah. fully assimilate or understand. And we have to keep hearing the gospel and re-believing it. It's so surprising that God would want us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we will be surprised how God works in others, but that should usually be a signal to us to remember the ultimate surprise that we are included as well. You know, remember I, I say it a lot: you are the biggest sinner you know, right? So, mm-hmm. so the, the biggest surprise of who's in the kingdom is you. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if we go from surprise to resistance or hostility that others are being brought in, well, then we have a problem, right? Then mm-hmm. then we have forgotten. Uh, the gospel, and, and we come to see our identity in Christ as natural. It's not a miracle. It's something we are entitled to. We're presumptuous about. It's not a free gift, and and we have to be careful. All of us can and do drift in that direction, right? Which is why, mm-hmm. I mean, it's why we want to make a practice out of confessing our sins, right? And and remembering yeah. and recognizing uh, God's unlimited, infinite grace to us as often as we can. Isn't isn't that also the story of Jonah? Oh, you know, of course. Yeah. I, I, I knew, I, I, I knew yeah. you were like this. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. <laughs> uh, okay, so this woman is surprised by this encounter with Jesus, and she says that you know he must be a prophet because he knows all about me, and he uh, tells the woman that he is the Messiah. She leaves her water jug. She runs back to the town, and she is gushing Jesus. And this is the title of your sermon. So, but but how is she gushing Jesus? Yeah, you know, and so we, we're, we're talking about gushing because the, the metaphor that Jesus used in terms of the living water will uh, well up eternal life, and sort of eternal life will bubble up and actually begin flowing out of us, right? We become a fountain of that, and we, we are gushing uh, this eternal life. We're gushing mm-hmm. this living water. We're gushing Jesus, and, and that's what she's doing, right? She's, she's talking about him, and we talk about gushing sometimes where you just can't stop talking about something, right? right? She's, she's testifying that there is something special about Jesus. He told me everything I ever did. That's what she says. Mm. He, he knows her completely, supernaturally, and, you know, it, but, but yet he doesn't judge her or condemn her. Um, and of course, we don't know everything she said, but she's speaking as if Jesus was a missing piece in her life and mm. was now making her life make sense. He could be the Savior, you know, like that's what she's saying. You got this, this could be the Christ. Um, and implicit in what she's saying is a confession. 
right? She is communicating that she's a sinner uh, in some sense mm. greater than these people knew, right? Because what's so special about knowing that this woman is a sinner? Anyone could intuit that. Um, but there are things that the town must not know um, mm. that others couldn't surmise that Jesus did know. That's what's so surprising to this woman. He knows me completely, things that you all don't even know about. Uh, which means there's more to the story. There, there's more bad stuff, um, and I'll and I'll share that with you w- when it's appropriate. But he knows me in a way that no one else could. So she's owning up to this publicly, and she's willing to do that now because now in Jesus she's sensing a freedom from sin and shame, and potentially a new and greater source of life and identity. So that's that's how she's talking about Jesus. So she's talking about Jesus, but how is gushing Jesus more than the words that we use? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think it's important that we recognize that, you know, and we can we can see it here or or at least assume it's there, right? This this woman who was avoiding the town goes straight back to it and begins to engage them, right? And and um, you know, she's exuding some courage. She's exuding mm. self-confidence, hopefulness and concern for her neighbors, right? She wants them to come and meet this guy too. Um, and then the fact that the town comes out with her suggests that it was more than just her words, right? There hmm. there had to have been some notable changes in her, her voice, her appearance, her body language. You know, I mentioned in the sermon, maybe she's looking in people's eyes now, right? I mean, you, you know that when someone has shame, they want to avoid uh, people's gaze. And in mm. fact, we we look away from people who are in shame, right? Like there's there's an interesting thing that humans do with, with our eyes when we sense that shame is somehow uh, in the equation. Like we all look away from each other. Mm. Um, but you can imagine her now, like she's looking square in people's eyes and, you know, sh- her, you know, her shoulders are square and straight and she's looking up. You know, people with joy, you know, have a kind of glow about them. And right. And we know, even scientifically, a lot of that has about – it's about posture and facial expression. It's not something to engineer. It's something that comes out. It springs out of us. It bubbles up, like Jesus mm. said. So eternal life was welling up from within her, and it was noticeable. And you know, beyond that, Matt, it, it is the tenor of our whole life, right? Are we kind? Are we hopeful? Mm. Are we empathetic? Are we concerned with pouring ourselves out and and blessing others, right? Do we want others to come along with us to good things? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do we give or uh, take credit for good things? Do we give or take blame for bad things? Are mm-hmm. we peacemakers or are we gossipers? Are we thankful or are we envious? Do we control our appetites or do our appetites control us? You know, so so people can watch us and wonder maybe maybe they're. Maybe they know something we don't. Maybe they're feeding on food we don't know about, right? And, mm. and all of that is a way of subtly gushing Jesus. You know, that, that reminds me of the saying, preach the gospel always, use words right. if necessary. Right, right. Yeah, that our same, lives should Saint exhibit Francis. that, yep. St. Francis. So uh, it took courage for her to go back to the village and talk about Jesus um, and expose her her sin. Uh, does it take courage to gush Jesus in the Silicon Valley? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, first of all, I think it takes courage to gush Jesus anywhere, mm-hmm. um, and, and even in the Bible Belt, it I'm sure it takes courage um, because you know these people have heard it all before. They they're used to it, and what's this person prattling on about? So I I think it takes courage anywhere, but certainly in parts of Silicon Valley, it takes a lot of courage. Um, you know, in, in certain of our workplaces here, you have to be very careful what you say about Jesus and, and to whom 
you say it. Um, and in various mm-hmm. social settings, right, you can be isolated by talking about Jesus or church. I'm mean, obviously as a pastor, and my wife as a pastor's wife, you know, we we have to be very thoughtful about when we share mm. uh, what I do. Um, and and we've had people non Christians say, you know, as as we're becoming friends, you know, they they're even willing to admit, like we had to t- like really check ourselves, like do we want to be friends with a pastor? Yeah, yeah. you know. So it, it, it can take courage, um, and I would say not only courage but also wisdom. Uh, Silicon Valley, mm. it, you know, it's very secular. It's a very scientific culture, um, and so and and not that there's this natural antipathy between science and faith, but we talk about it like there there is sometimes. Um, and, and so there does seem to be more hostility and bias against religion here than in many other places in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what that can mean is that Christians can take an antagonistic approach toward people and the culture here in gushing Jesus, but I, I think that's pretty counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's usually the best strategy in a place like Silicon Valley to gush Jesus through actions, first and foremost, like we're talking about, then, if ever given an opportunity to talk about who Jesus is, you talk about who he is to you and how he changed your life and how he works in your life, right? It's a very personal testimony, which, of course, is what the Bible talks about in the New Testament, right? To be a witness is to give personal testimony about what, what you've seen Jesus do in your life. And then, of course, if there's further interest or questions, you say, come and see, Come mm-hmm. with me and see, mm-hmm. right? But you you might not lead with come and see, I guess, it, it, and that, and that's right. where that's where wisdom comes in in a place like Silicon Valley. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the the series Silicon Valley in HBO. Uh, only a few episodes, but I did hear about the 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 Christian the, the one. one. What was it yeah. again? Oh, it was like you could be anything but a Christian. So they, I mean, <laughs> right. list everything you think would be a, a, a taboo. <laughs> Nothing's taboo. And they find out that one of the per- people are Christian, and they said, listen, you really cannot say that. We're going to lose this contract if you tell people you're a Christian. It yep. was a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a couple of questions from a listener. Yes. You know, can you believe that? We have people who listen to our podcast. <laughs> uh, we, we, so don't know a, that, we don't know that they're listening, but they did have uh, questions for us. Well, that's actually, <laughs> well, I shouldn't assume that exactly. <laughs> All right. So here's question number one. How do you gush Jesus to people who are far away? Because we have people, you know, that we know and friends and family that are maybe uh, long distance. Yeah, I think this is a very insightful question. And, you know, like you said, we uh, partly because we're, we're here in Silicon Valley, which, you know, in, in some sense is the ends of the earth uh, for, for most of us. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, whether yeah, you're coming right. from Asia or, or anywhere else. Right. In some say, you know, this is the last place of sunsets besides Hawaii. And, um, you know, so most of us are transplants, right? So that means we have friends and family spread out across the country and across the world. And, and so this is really difficult, this gushing uh, to people remotely might be another way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so first I would say generally um, God uses people in physical proximity to each other. That's just generally um, how how he works. And so the people you care about who live far away, the most important thing you can do is pray and ask that God would send Jesus gushers to them. Hmm. Um, you, you need to recognize your limitations and, and what you can and cannot do, and it's not on you um, to, to be the primary uh, Jesus gusher. Um, and it, and it's wonderful to pray for people in such a way that you are saying, please send them, send them one person. 
mm-hmm. uh, who can speak to them in a way about Jesus that even I can't. And and you know we we should we we should be praying for people that way anyway, whether they're near or far. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, there's only so much you can do from far away. But beyond that, uh, I would attempt to create a relationship where there is frequent contact and processing our feelings about ourselves and our lives. Um, you, you know, you can't gush Jesus superficially. You can't gush Jesus, you know, when you're talking once every six months. Mm-hmm. Um, you gush Jesus by talking about how he's met you in some significant way. And and that needs to be, therefore, part of the regular conversation. And if those things aren't discussed between people, then it comes off as fake. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like you're trying to do it out of the blue. So before gushing Jesus, you need to try to establish a kind of relationship where sharing needs, expressing empathy, giving and asking for advice happens. Hmm. And uh, you know, and, and it's always good to cultivate that. But if that's a long way off, right? If that's going to take a while, then you can really only talk about Jesus at the depth of the relationship you have with this person. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, hey, uh, I'm I'm doing this in my church. I'm doing. I have this friend in my church. Right? I went I went up to Napa with some friends from church. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You know, this offhanded offhanded comments. Um, if they share a difficulty or need with you, um, not necessarily making themselves vulnerable, but, but you know, at least expressing some, you know, displeasure, dislike. You, you can ask, hey, can can I pray for you for that? You know, like mm-hmm. is is that something I should be praying for? Um, and maybe that opens up a, a an avenue of conversation, or at some point suggesting a church community. You know, that, that might be a good resource uh, for you to make some friends, or you know, if you, if you need to get help, I I'm sure there's some churches around who might be able to help you make connections for a job, or you know, there's there's this thing called a diaconate, you know, that that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, starting in in those places, if you don't have a kind of relationship where you can just naturally gush about what's important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, if the person feels like you are forcing, right, you're going to be driving them away from Jesus. So again, mm-hmm. prayer is your your number one strategy and go-to in this situation, and then just trying to create a, a relationship where it's natural for both parties to gush and share needs. Do we need to gush differently with people who are angry with God? Mm. Well, I mean, I think, again, we can talk about wisdom, mm-hmm. Um when, when people are angry with God. And of course, you know, what we see uh, throughout the New Testament and, and, and Acts is uh, the perfect example. We see Paul gush about Jesus differently in, in all different kinds of contexts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we should always be thoughtful, right? I mean, so, uh, you know, Paul asked, you know, that, that words would be given to him sprinkled with grace, salted with grace. Yeah. Um, so, so we need to be thoughtful and, and trust that God's spirit in, is in us. And we are in front of a unique individual who is uniquely bearing the image of God. And so mm. that means like they are worth thinking about, you know, like mm-hmm. they, they are worth actually trying to figure out like, how could they, how could this person hear, uh, about Jesus from me? Like what, what might be, uh, most relatable for them? So, you know, that's the issue where we're kind of skeptical with kind of evangelistic presentations and formulas and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because everyone's everyone's different and everyone has their own story, and God has been working already in everyone, and right. we need to be thoughtful about that. Um, and so mm-hmm. when someone's angry at God, I mean, that's a very challenging situation, and, and every situation is unique. Um, if, if someone has been traumatized, we have to be very sensitive and thoughtful in talking about this, if they've been traumatized at, at a church, or they've experienced spiritual abuse, or you know some kind of tragedy in their lives, um, 
you know, there, but there are places uh, of overlap uh, if and when the person is willing to express their anger at God, right? Jesus mm-hmm. was traumatized, right? So, so that he could redeem the greatest atrocities and restore the most wounded, right? Jesus knows what it is to be abused. Uh, he knows uh, what it is to be isolated and hurt. Uh, he knows what it is to be stripped down before a group mm-hmm. of men to be hurt, Right, mm. uh, he is with us in 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 the worst things, uh, and he knows them. So you know, w- when the person is able to talk about their anger to God, if there's a way of of talking about how, yeah, this God is different than every other God. This God actually comes and and knows our hurts and traumas, mm. unlike any other God. Um, addition to that, you know, the the Psalms are an incredible resource for people who are angry and yelling at God because lots of Psalms do that. Um, and, and, and showing someone that, you know, God is okay with us being angry at him. He even gives words for us to use toward him hmm. when we're angry That's at him. Remarkable. You know, yeah. we, we, yeah. we wonder where he is. Why is he forsaken us? Why has hmm. he abandoned us? Um, why are we hurting all the time? Why doesn't the world work right? He gives us those words. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it's, 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 it's partially rational to be angry at God, right? Because mm-hmm. life and the world aren't working as they yeah. ought to. And so being angry at God <clears throat> shows more faith and openness than being indifferent toward God. Mm-hmm. Um, so so and, and all of us are probably at least a little angry at God, you know? So yeah. it might be useful to share how you are angry at mm-hmm. God or how you've been angry at God and, and whether or not that resolved. But um, again, I, I would often take... Uh, usually someone who's angry at God, it's worthwhile for them to talk to someone who's been in a similar situation, you Mm -hmm. know, whether that's uh, the trauma they've gone through or the hurt they've gone through. That person's testimony matters, Um, you know, to say, look, I was where you are, and and this is how I saw Jesus through that. This is is how I came to understand God's goodness. Let me tell you how. So again, if you can't be that person, it's important that you're praying for that person to come into this other person's life who's angry at God, and and you know try to be thoughtful and wise about connecting them uh, to to people uh, who can do that. You mentioned in your sermon about feeding on Jesus. Um, what does it mean to feed on Jesus, and how do we do it? Feeding on Jesus is finding our life and sustenance in him. Uh, no one lives on bread alone, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or if they do, they're very unhappy, right? Or do we just you know, scientifically know this. Um, we all need physical food for physical life, but we also need more than that. Uh, we need relational connection, and we need to make some sense of the world and find some meaning in our lives, right? It, it, it's it's yeah. more than bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and feeding on Jesus is finding both of those needs, right? Having both of those needs uh, met in incredible ways, both relational and existential needs, first and foremost in him. Um, so this means a relational, personal connection with Jesus, who knows you fully and loves you completely, fully known and fully loved. Nothing and no one else can offer you that. And so tending to that relational connection in worship, in prayer, in scripture, in sacrament, that's food, that's sustenance. Mm. And then secondly, it means meshing our story of value and meaning into Jesus, a grander story of, of creation and redemption, right? We, we begin to see how we fit into the triune God story, and we take steps to participate in it. 
Mm-hmm. And so when we act in accordance with Jesus' mission of proclaiming the kingdom in word and deed and gathering in disciples, we not only find ourselves in sync with the greatest value, purpose, narrative in the universe, we also connect more deeply with Jesus personally. Right? Mm-hmm. He promises to go with us as we live out his mission, picking up our cross, following him. He will meet us as we share in the fellowship of his sufferings, and we will come to know the power of his resurrection. That satisfies Right? We, we find meaning mm. and purpose. Life makes more and more sense, and, and life is wor- more and more worth living. And mm. so I, I think that's a, that's a quick stab at what feeding on Jesus might look like. So what might we be feeding on instead of Jesus, and what are the possible implications? Well, you know, I mean, oftentimes we're just simply uh, gorging our appetites, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're, just, we're just feeding uh, our appetites more and more and more. Um, and, and these appetites are, are good. We've been given appetites for good things, for beauty, for food, for drink, for sex, for abundance, mm-hmm. um, right? These are good, but sin twists them, and so uh, they are twisted for us in our sin nature. Um, but they're still appetizing to a point. So we go after these things with all of our strength, thinking we'll be satisfied, but we never are, Mm. right? All the sex in the world, all the money in the world, all the power in the world, all the Michelin star meals in the world, it's not enough. Mm. Um, But for many of us, um, we we kind of recognize that, and we settle into some more mundane kind of feeding, you know, like a nice career, nice family, you know, enjoy your job, have some success, respect of your peers, Mm -hmm. raise good kids, make sure they're happy and successful. And that's actually probably more satisfying than the rock star life. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's still not enough. You know, we, we don't have actual or complete control over career and family. It often feels like we do or we try to. Um, and if we don't have control, then they can disappoint us, right? They can hurt us and, and in the end fail to provide what we think we need. This is what's so great about feeding on Jesus, right? We have no control over him, mm. and we can't even pretend that we do, but in him is fullness of life. We will never be disappointed in him. We will always get mm. what we need, right? Fully loved, fully known. Right? The one person who fully knows us and fully loves us is the one person we cannot manipulate or be or control mm. at all mm-hmm. and who will never let us down. That makes so much sense to me, right? We will yeah. we will only find our deepest joy in something that we cannot control, but yeah. can only receive. That just that just seems so perfect and right. Of course it God does. God would make a world like that. Yeah. So, you know, the implications are you are what you eat. And if you don't mm-hmm. feed on Jesus, you get less Jesus in you and less Jesus comes out of you. You are less like Jesus. You don't enjoy him as much and people don't get much blessing from him through you. So feeding mm-hmm. on these other things gives them more power in your life, which ends up making you more unhappy since, again, these things cannot satisfy they have no power over you, um, but no, I'm sorry, they have power over you, mm-hmm. um, but they don't come through for you. And that's what the Bible calls slavery. Mm. So those are the implications. Yeah, and those are terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so some of our listeners have been Christians a long time, and at one point in their spiritual journeys, they may have gushed Jesus, but they might not be as gushy today. <laughs> Why might that happen, and what could they do to become excited about Jesus again? <laughs> More gushy. <laughs> More gushy. <laughs> you know, Matt, first, um, it, it actually does seem pretty common that there's more gushing when people first meet Jesus. 
You know, it, it's new. It's wonderful. He's new. He's wonderful. Um, so new converts or people who are owning their faith uh, in a new and deeper way for the first time are usually the best gushers and mm-hmm. evangelists, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens then? Well, you know, I, I think life happens, and, and we figure out how to integrate Jesus into our lives. Um, but more often than not, it's not fitting Jesus. More often than not, it's fitting Jesus into our story rather than us fitting ourselves into Jesus' story. Hmm. Um, and that might be a, a, a function of our culture and demographic. We have so much more opportunities uh, than humans ever before uh, yeah. to do what we want. And so it's, it's just so much easier to make Jesus just one small component of our lives. But either way, life happens. And you know, the other thing is, is that you can't gush Jesus to the same people over and over again. Um, and so mm-hmm. unless your life is incredibly dynamic and you're constantly on the move across groups, right, you have a certain network of people, and and maybe you've gushed to them about Jesus already, and you really can't keep doing it. Then <laughs> then you're pestering, right? I, I said, you right. don't pester people. You're sure. getting pretty annoying. Um, and so mm-hmm. then you kind of have to gush Jesus in indirect ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there is this idea of saturation. Um, and that's why new people uh, coming to church are usually the source of more new people. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. most of us have been going to the same church for five years. We've already invited everyone to church that we can in our networks, and the only people we invite are new people uh, or, or, you know, people who are new to the area or people who right. are now uh, interested in Jesus. Um, but a totally new person has a whole new network of people to invite. Who haven't been invited, but that—that's almost a digression. To get to the real question, often, if someone is talking about no longer being excited about Jesus, um, I usually talk about two possibilities. One, there might be unconfessed willful sin in their lives, hmm. meaning um, they've just made peace with some sin. You know, um, whether it, it could be harboring deep resentment, it could be some sexual immorality, some kind of unhealthy habit, whatever. If it's conscious and willful, that creates cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. and and you cannot be excited about Jesus that way. You you cannot make peace with sin and be on fire for Jesus. You, right, right. Jesus is Lord, and there's no way to connect with Him deeply if you are denying His lordship in your life. Right. Um, and the Holy Spirit is fighting your flesh and your sin nature to make sure you won't be satisfied in your sin. Right. Mm-hmm. So that is it's not fun. So I would ask someone if they had unconfessed sin. Uh, and and it, and I would ask them to investigate it. You know, like you might not even know um, that that you've made peace with this sin, but think about it. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's it's one thing to to be hopeful about is the fact that they're asking about this, and the fact that they actually would like to gush Jesus, and they'd mm-hmm. like to be more excited about Jesus. That's a great sign. That's a sign that yes. the Spirit is there. And Galatians five is happening. The Spirit is fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so. Uh, Let's see. This is the second thing. I might ask this person if they have places in their life where they actually need Jesus. Hmm. Um, You know, we we don't get so excited about Jesus if we never need him to show up. And this is one of the problems with modern evangelicalism. There's a great emphasis on forgiveness and eternal life, forgiveness of sins and eternal life after death. Deservedly so. There should be emphasis on that. But after that's been settled in your life, then what? You know, like, Hmm. you're glad you're forgiven and death is no longer final, but how else is Jesus relevant right now to your day-to-day? So I would suggest putting yourself in situations where you actually need Jesus to show up, 
like participate. Which can be scary. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're extending yourself, you're stretching, right. uh, participating in a ministry or helping lead one, going mm. on some kind of mission or service trip, doing things and putting ourselves in places that open our eyes to the fact that Jesus is alive and active in all kinds of ways. So basically, it means joining him on his mission. How do you get excited about gushing again? Well, be intentional about gushing, right? Put yourself mm-hmm. in a position where you must gush in some way and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You you might find both old and new reasons to gush, right? You you might mm. you might find Jesus has been here all along and I just haven't seen it as an opportunity to talk about him, but but now here's an opportunity and this mm-hmm. is exciting and yeah. I want more of this. So, you know, if, if we are trying to build a very, very kind of predictable, linear life of, you know, get, going to work, exercising, eating healthy, keeping our kids safe, and, and if really that is, that is what our life is about, that's, that's fairly narrow, and, mm. and Jesus, you know, doesn't have a lot to do in that life. Yeah. Um, life is a lot more exciting than that. Life is an adventure. There's a lot more ups and downs. There's some deep, deep hurts. There's some high, high joys, right? And we need to recognize that that's, that's what Jesus is calling us to and accompanies us on. And of course, if people listening want more, our church, we have opportunities <laughs> to get involved. You, we're, on, yeah. we're on mission. If you want right? mission, we're on mission we'll give it in to the you. Silicon Valley. We're here, the most unchurched place in America. That's right. We've got, we've got places for you. We want to grow with you and, and go with you, right? Yes. Grow and All right, go. Bob. Well, thank you, Bob, for your time again today. You got it. The title of Bob's sermon is Gushing. It's part of our fall sermon series from the Gospel of John. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We're really glad that you're tuning into these conversations, and we hope that this is helping you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about the Christian faith or just need someone to talk to, we have pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or a phone call away. If you have a prayer request, you can also go directly to our website at gracesouthbay.com and submit your requests using the prayer button at the top of the website. And if you're new to Grace South Bay, we would encourage you to fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. And of course, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday morning worship. We meet at 9 a.m. at Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. In the meantime, we'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB Podcast. So stay tuned, stay connected, and be encouraged knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.